Well, I want you to open your Bibles with me to the 28th chapter of Matthew, to one of the most familiar statements in Scripture, starting from verse 18, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, Jesus has power, total power in heaven and in earth. That's quite a statement, isn't it? And then he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe what? That's a very important statement. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And thus endeth the gospel of Matthew. What a wonderful note on which to end. You know, the, the law of recency, the last things are often the important ones. First things are important, the law of primacy and the law of recency. And we can often remember the first events and the last events. I've been a teacher now, well, I'm in my 49th year of teaching. Not many teachers go that long. <laughs> About January of 1952 was my first start as a teacher. And I can certainly remember that first day. By the way, I can remember the last class I taught on Thursday. But don't ask me to tell you all the classes I've taught in between. You know, they sort of merge into nothingness, don't they? But the first and the last and this these are the last words that Matthew presents that Jesus gave not that they were the very last words that he spoke but Matthew felt this was so important to put these words here and he says that we're to teach all things I have commanded you now, this is a universal command. It doesn't say for ministers, it doesn't say for teachers, it says for all. All of us are called to send this message over the world. It doesn't say when it's convenient. It doesn't say when you have permission. The commission, the permission is given by God. The commission is given by God. And we must go forward. No man can stop that commission. And that's going to be important in what we have to say. So this morning I want to very briefly go over some of the things that the General Conference wrote. They've written a six-page letter to us after our meeting. And uh, Pastor Athel Tolhurst, the Undersecretary of the General Conference, sent this to us. I want you to notice... What he said, following, this is the uh, paragraph, following our most recent discussion, our committee modified the report document before submitting it to the General Conference Administrative Committee. ADCOM has received the report and has voted to make it available to each of the world divisions and to each of you. So this is going to each of the divisions. I'll get it here. They might already have it. 
in the trans-European division. You know what the idea is, it'll be sent to the unions and the unions will send it to the conferences and the conferences will send it to the pastors. So there is a total blacklisting of Heartland, Hope and Remnant all over this world. That's, that's the real... It sounds a little innocuous when you read it, but I know how, how it goes. Um, we request you with all sincerity to reflect upon each item in the report, and we certainly have done that, and to prayerfully consider your role as it is seen by the committee. Well, I'm more concerned about my role as it's seen by God and indeed by many others beside. But you know, many of those many others beside, if suddenly the leaders of this church said, Heartland, Hope and Remnant are really doing a great work for the Lord, those people would melt away. It's like in the time of Jeremiah. Remember Jeremiah chapter 26, when he brought the message that God had told him to bear and diminish not a word. And the priests and the prophets and the people said he's worthy to die for presenting the word of God and not diminishing it. But the interesting thing was when they called for the princes, the secular arm of the state, to come and exercise the uh, judgment that they had made and execute Jeremiah, the, the princes said after they rehearsed, some of the previous prophets that had preached some of the same and the people had turned back and the judgments had turned aside, they said, he is not worthy to die. And you'll notice it says that the, the princes and the people, the people had suddenly gone on the other side of the issue. I tell you, our membership is so wishy-washy, they're like the Jews of old. Wherever the power is, that's where they scream. There were myriads that were screaming, crucify him, crucify him to Jesus, that if the high priests stood up and said, don't you dare say that, they would have stopped saying it. We can't be like that, brethren and sisters. We desire to be able to work and witness with you side by side as we endeavor to finish the work of God. I wish that were true. Heartland has gone so far out of its way to try to work with the brethren. And rarely has the hand been returned in extension. But then it says, I understand that the report may be printed, I think you could say will be printed, in one or more of our periodicals at some future time. So it's not only going to be sent, it's going to be put in, I suppose, the review and maybe... You might find it in the British Messenger. I'm sure the South Pacific Record will put it in. They're going to be certain to take up on that. That'll be the kind of item they'd like to present. And uh, they have told us that um, we've got one year. And um, if Hope International and Associates Instead of writing down hope and heartland and remnant, in the end, they just confined it to saying hope and associates. Cannot bring themselves into harmony with the body of the world church. Clearly, evidence within 12 months, the Seventh-day Adventist church may need to consider whether there exists a persistent refusal to recognize properly constituted church authority or to submit to the order and discipline of the church. So there's a threat. What they could do, I suppose... 
they could certainly take away Elder Spears and my ordination. They could revoke that. They can't take Russell's because that's already been taken. And uh, they could probably press very hard for all of us to be disfellowship. They may even go further and say anyone that works for Heartland and Hope or anyone on the board or any on the constituency should be disfellowship. That's going to be a test to a lot of people. They could do that. That's a possibility. I don't know what we could change to bring ourselves into harmony. We're not going to change what we believe, what we preach. We're not going to change our missionary endeavours. What would we change? There's nothing specific here except, of course, as they say, do you want to hear some of the things that they accuse us of? Some of them are pitiful. But the first accusation is that, that we charge that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is in apostasy. All right? And they argued very strongly that never once does Sister White, and I haven't checked it through, so I'm not going to say they're wrong, never once did Sister White ever call the church, uh, say the Seventh-day Adventist Church was in apostasy. Because they'll accept that there's apostasy in the church. <clears throat> so in my response, I'm saying to them, though I haven't had a chance to check that through, I'm prepared to accept what the spirit of prophecy says about the end time church. <clears throat> and these are the words that I'm referring to. Perhaps I should read the background to it. It's 210 and 211 of the fifth volume of the Testimonies. It's in that chapter, The Seal of God. Most of you are familiar with that chapter, I'm sure. There's no part of the Spirit of Prophecy I've read more often than that chapter. No other part, because I believe it's so central to our day. But in it, it says, In the time when his wrath shall go forth in judgments, these humble, devoted followers of Christ will be distinguished from the rest of the world by their sole language, which is expressed in lamentation and weeping, reproofs and warnings. Any lamentations, any weepings, any reproofs, any warnings? While others try to throw a cloak over the existing evil and excuse the great wickedness everywhere prevalent, those who have a zeal for God's honour and a love for souls will not hold their peace to obtain favour of any. Are we in that category? We're not willing. To hold our peace. Others are flowing, trying to throw a cloak over the existing evils. You know that's happening all the time. You know, we're saying, well, you know, a little bit. There are some apostasies, but there's always been apostasy in the church. This isn't some apostasy in the church. This is widespread apostasy and worldliness in our church. Um, their righteous souls are vexed day by day with the unholy works and conversation of the unrighteous. And then this sentence I've contemplated many times because I feel that this expresses my situation. They are powerless to stop the rushing torrent of iniquity 
and hence they are filled with grief and alarm. I felt powerless. I think all the faithful preachers feel powerless to stop the onrushing torrent of iniquity in our church. They mourn before God to see religion despised in the very homes of those who have had what? Great light. And then notice the next words. They lament and afflict their souls because pride, avarice, selfishness and deception of almost every kind are where? In the world? No, in the church. The spirit of God which prompts to reproof is trampled underfoot while the servants of Satan triumph. God is dishonored, the truth made of none effect. Now you might not call that deep apostasy in the church, but I don't know what you call it. That's God's description of the end time Seventh Day Adventist church. By the way, she doesn't say leave the church. That'd be the best time to say it, wouldn't it? Just clear your membership out of the church. No, she doesn't say that. There's no... But she does give a warning. The class who do not feel grieved over their own spiritual declension or mourn over the sins of others will be left without the seal of God. That's pretty serious too, isn't it? So if you're indifferent to what's taking place in your own life and in the life of your fellow church members, you're going to be left without the seal of God. Well, that was their first concern. Then they say we have a distorted view of the nature of Christ. They say, uh, but then they talk about the the church. I don't know why. It is a clear impression that Hope and Associates believe that the church is composed of both an organized system of administration and a parallel self-supporting ministry independent of the organized system. Now, that is ridiculous. After all, every constituent member of Heartland is a member in regular standing in the Adventist Church, Seventh-day Adventist Church. Every board member, and by the way, that includes three ordained credentialed ministers, our board. Not because they're ministers. Our board chairman is a credentialed minister of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. There are still some good ministers it would have been a fourth one if the Potomac Conference hadn't refused to allow one of their um, departmental directors. I tell you, when we went through all this, these ministers were terribly alarmed. One of them said, I'm going up to the General Conference. I'm going to talk to these leaders. One of them's the secretary of a conference. Another one is the evangelist for his conference. And the other one, the board chairman, is a pastor in his conference. They're in three different conferences. But I tell you what, you wouldn't get stronger support against this kind of action than we got from those ministers. And by the way, you wouldn't get stronger support on the issue of what's happening to Perez than from those ministers. I thank the Lord there are still some faithful ministers. 
and there's more than we know because the two ministers that wrote to me I'd never heard of before. I may never hear of them again, I don't know. But how many more are there? You see, when Jesus ministered, there's no evidence of any priests joining Christ. But when Pentecost came, you remember what the scripture says there in Acts? A great company of the priests became obedient unto the faith. I believe there are still many, quotes priests in the Adventist church or pastors, a minority, of course, overall. But when the real tests come, they're going to show up and they're going to stand. We don't see them now. I know a few of them. And by the way, they're not limited to the ones I've just mentioned there because I have some other friends that I haven't heard from, but I know where they stand. I don't have to guess how they feel about what happened in Florida. But that's the way they look at it. And they, we don't believe there are two... Except we believe that God has ordained denominational work and we believe that God has ordained self-supporting work. Why are they trying to make this? They're to work together, not under one another or one under the other. In fact, Sister White says plainly, I don't know how many of you have read this book, Swarming Independence. It's the only one I think there's left here, at least the only one I could see there. But someone needs to get that book, Swarming Independence. And there Sister White makes it very plain to um, the leaders at Madison, you're not to come under the control or domination of the Southern Union Conference. Why? They may as well become conference. Why have self-supporting work if they don't have a little... Leeway. That doesn't mean they have different doctrines. It doesn't mean they have a different mission. But you know, there's much less red tape. It's much easier for me if something, if some crisis happens or some need happens to, to break away and go to it. I don't have to go through the general, to my conference, to the union, to the division, to the general conference and back down the line again to get permissions before I can move. But you see, I suppose it's fair to say they don't really understand it. You know, there's a lot more about self-supporting work in this book here, Tithes and Offerings, Trampling the Conscience. Those two are a marvellous combination. You might think this only deals with tithe, but it's dealing with tithes in terms of self-supporting work, and therefore it brings the two together. And there's quite a few of these over there, by the way, Tithes and Offerings. Um, trampling the conscience alright let's look at what else they say about Heartland divers understanding of doctrinal positions though strongly affirming their support for the seventh day of a statement of fundamental beliefs I don't know where we've ever strongly supported that we've told them that we don't accept it I've told them oh yes I could say amen to them but I know that many of them are so emaciated and so eclectic that um, you could say amen to them and be a new theology or you could believe what we believe. Well, anyway, they say uh, they seem to have some reservations with respect to several of them. We don't seem to. We do have reservations. 
one such reservation concerning the son. In this particular case, they have taken a position different from the church. I wish they would have said, they said different from the word of God, then we'd have something to work with. Listen, if the church is opposed to the word, which do you accept? On the topic of the church, their understanding of its nature and authority does not seem to reflect the doctrine of ecclesiology as held by the church. What about as held by the Bible? The same applies to the statement on stewardship. I suppose they're talking about tithes. I don't know. They don't make that plain here. But I guess that's it. Now, they're not the, the three that I mentioned there were the one on the nature of Christ, the item on the atonement. They're not, apparently they're afraid to mention that. Why? Well, because they know there'd be a lot of other people that would rise up perhaps against what they're saying. And thirdly, um, I mentioned the nature of sin. Very eclectic. You know what I mean by eclectic? Pluralistic. You could believe one thing, another believe something else, and you can still say amen to the statement. I have no doubt that that was deliberately done. In fact, in the issues book, they say that. That's just the point. That's what we did. Then there's an, another one, a reluctance to accept the authority of the church. Look, we told them over and over again that we do believe the General Conference in full world session has authority. Sister White says that, 261. She talked about when a small group met together, she had said it was no longer the voice of God and so on. But when the church from delegates gathered from all around the world meets, it shall have authority. But I told them, I said, brethren, you treat it as if it says they are infallible. That's not infallibility. Um, and how many times we said, look, the, the word must supersede. Even the general conference is under authority. It's under the authority of God and his word. I read um, one of the statements um, that was um, presented to them. Great controversy. 595 but God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of all reforms the opinions of learned men the deductions of science the creeds and decisions of ecclesiastical councils as numerous and discordant as are the churches which they represent the voice of the majority not one nor all of these should be regarded as evidence for or against any point of religious faith before accepting any doctrine or precept, we should demand what? A thus saith the Lord. Now there's room for councils. There's need for committees and so on. But listen, if it's contrary to the word of God, you reject it. You've got no alternative. Church manuals change every five years. They made a big point at the meeting that we had used mainly the 1932 baptismal vows, which are to be found, by the way, in 
1932 manual, the very first manual. Now, I'm against having any kind of church manual. Our church refused to have it for the best part of a century. But eventually it succumbed to the way of the world. But you see, because we don't have the, the we don't use the baptismal vows, those, are, those pitiful vows that we have today. They say that's in rebellion, that's against church authority. You're not following the church. And we're making up our own vows and therefore we're bringing people in with a different set of um, standards and we're putting in additional standards that they shouldn't be asked to conform to. I said, well, you've just got to look at the kind of Adventists that are coming into the church under the present vows. And we're under God having a responsibility to do all we know how to bring people into the Seventh-day Adventist church on God's standards. And uh, there is a basis that we must uphold. She says here, self-supporting ministries are to work in harmony with the church. You know, the only statement that I have found where Sister White talks about self-supporting and denominational work in a specific setting, working together, I, I believe this principle, of course, was with Madison and the Southern Union Conference. And in this book, it gives a quotation. Now, I had sent that manuscript to a friend in Australia that been at university with dedicated man brilliant mind he got honors in science at both the baccalaureate and master's levels and he's very strong that the only only ones that can receive the tithe are the denomination so we gave it to him for him to review it's always good to give it to people that have a different viewpoint from you. And he sent 70 computer pray pages back on his evaluation. My, did that strengthen this book. Because he raised issues that were really very easy to answer and we added that to the book. But he said, he used a quotation he, and, and he said, this quotation says that Madison was to work with the Southern Union Conference. You know, it said exactly the opposite. It said the Southern Union Conference were to work closely with the brethren in Madison. I said, you must have twisted that around in your mind. It goes both ways. They only see one way in the General Conference. I, of course, believe that we should work with, with faithful Seventh-day Adventists. We do it. That's why we have some on our board. Now, we wouldn't have them on our board if they weren't faithful Seventh-day Adventists, if they didn't believe in the fullness of the message that we have. They always talked about the church. Now, Sister White didn't make that mistake and call the, the conference the church. She called it the conference work and the self-supporting work. She understood that the conference work wasn't the church, part of the church, of course. But they make that mistake today. Then they say we rewrote the baptismal vows. Now listen to this. A baptismal vow was put together by Colin Standish using the 1932 church manual and other sources. The other main source were the 1946 uh, baptismal vows that um, were given to Joe Cruz when he started his ministry in 1946. And he, gave, and he used them all through his ministry and he shared them with me. And so it's a mixture of those two vows 
sets of vows that are in the vows we have. Now you'd think they'd say, well, look, these vows brought many faithful people into the Seventh-day Adventist church. By the way, many more of them stayed in the church under those vows than under the present vows, percentage-wise. But that's a point of criticism because we've changed the vows. An examination of this baptismal vow reveals that it is significantly different from what is found in the current church manual as approved by the world church. Well, remember, the old vows were approved by the world church too. But they say the current. So if the church changes, we've got to change with them. By the way, it's interesting to note, I was born in 1933, one year after the vows that were put forward. These were the vows that were current when I was born into an undivided Seventh-day Adventist home. Do I have to change every time a group of brethren decide to change? But notice their the first point. A new fundamental belief added as a requirement for joining the church. We've added a new fundamental belief that Jesus took upon himself our fallen nature. Such statement has never been part of the Seventh-day Adventist baptismal vow or of official statements of fundamental beliefs. Now, they put it under those terms. You remember the, the James White, Uriah Smith vows were put forward in 1872 and they certainly had one on the fallen nature of Christ. But notice their the first point. A new fundamental belief added as a requirement for joining the church. We've added a new fundamental belief that Jesus took upon himself our fallen nature. Such statement has never been part of the Seventh-day Adventist baptismal vow or of official statements of fundamental beliefs. Now, they put it under those terms. You remember the, the James White, Uriah Smith vows were put forward in 1872 and they certainly had one on the fallen nature of Christ. But I am amazed that they have the audacity to challenge us on that because that statement is word perfect from the spirit of prophecy that Christ took upon himself our fallen nature. Now, I don't have to be concerned whether the church has made a statement on it when inspiration has made a statement. Amen. But we're being accused, you see, of trying to force people into additional beliefs that the church does not accept. It says, The vow dealing with tithing does not identify the church as the repository of tithe, as does the official baptismal vow. What our vow says, uh, tithes and offerings... Um, for the work of God. That's exactly what was in the 1946 vows. Never mentioned the word church. But if the word church were there, I can accept that. If you don't equate the church with the conference alone, we've never said that no one should give tithes or offerings to the conference, but I want to tell you, you better study very carefully this book to see what condemnation comes if you support unfaithful ministers as there are woes upon 
those who teach the truth in unrighteousness, that's ministers teaching, there are greater woes upon those who support the unsanctified minister. You better keep that in mind, brethren and sisters. There are greater woes, even greater than on the minister, if knowingly you support an unsanctified minister. It says, in the rewritten, now this is one of the most ludicrous things that they've written. In the rewritten baptismal vow, the Seventh-day Adventist Church does not receive a mention. The remnant church is mentioned. Well, what is the remnant church? But it is never identified with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, they said that after we had just been defending the use of the name Seventh-day Adventist. And they were faulting us both days for supporting this church for upholding the name Seventh-day Adventist. And they would dare put that in that. It's just so foolish. Listen, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church and whenever anyone said the remnant church, I knew what they were talking about, didn't you? Some of you didn't grow up, but I'm sure you understand there is only one remnant church. Now, it's not remnant because everyone in the church is a remnant. Because it's a remnant of her seed. It's a remnant of Israel. But it's a remnant because it contains those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why it's the remnant church. And there's no other church that keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. Therefore, when I say the remnant church, surely all of you will know that I mean the Seventh-day Adventist church. And then it talks about us con conducting our own camp meetings. You know, we didn't hold one camp meeting until we had spent time with the president of the Potomac Conference. We told him what our plans were back in probably 97, we told him. We had our first camp in 87, I mean, and in 88 we had a first camp meeting. And his answer was, well, what would stop you holding a camp meeting? The Baptists and the Methodists hold camp meeting. It's not a purview only of the Seventh-day Adventists. And every year we've held that camp meeting after all the union, our union camp meetings have been concluded. And we will again this year. That's why we usually hold it right at the tail end of, of July or the first part of August this year, it's August 1 to 6. We deliberately avoided having our camp meeting when, when the, all the, the eight camp meetings in the Columbia Union. We could have said just the Potomac camp meeting where we belong. But that's how we've tried to cooperate. And by the way, we didn't do it in a vacuum. We've tried to be as transparent as the sunlight. We're not a secret society. We're not carrying on covert activities. That's probably why they attack us so strongly, because we are so open about what we do. We've never denied that we will accept tithe. We don't advertise it. We don't, never once have I ever gone to a meeting and said, please put in your tithes and offerings to Heartland. Some self-supporting work does. I don't fault them for doing that. That's their decision, but we've never done it. Um, <clears throat> operating their own publishing houses. 
Well, they left out a few, our college, our wellness centre. They had that all down in the original document. Well, we said to them, brethren, you think of the self-supporting way. They're into restaurants. They're into publishing. They're into not all doing all the same things. They're into educational facilities, whether they be academies or, or colleges. They're, they're into um, camp meetings and so on. It's just almost inevitable. They're putting out their own newsletters and papers and magazines and, and so on. It seems so foolish. And here's what they say. Hope International Associates have their own publishing program for the production of materials promoting their views on different doctrines and lifestyles. My, I object to those statements. While much of this material is Adventist in character, there are numerous examples of a judgmental attitude against the organised church and its leaders and from time to time assertions that the church is in apostasy. Whatever truths these periodicals contain are more than discounted by the recurring critical refrain. Now, by the way, Hartland has put out um, four, three publications, Last Generation. It doesn't even address church issues. It's a missionary magazine, so they're not telling them about it. Young Disciple magazine, that's also a missionary magazine, as well as for our youth, of course. That doesn't address it. And the other is the Sabbath School comments. Where is the criticism? Where is this recurring refrain? This is pathetic. Now they're probably referring to our Firm Foundation magazine. I believe our Firm, Firm Foundation magazine, on the whole, has been very moderate. There's been warnings, but it's very moderate. And then they hit us for supporting dissident movements. They have been supporting Norberto Restrepo in Colombia and Venezuela. By the way, how many of you have heard uh, Pastor Restrepo speak? Well, he's going to be in the German camp meeting this year. You just judge for yourself. He's one of the most godly men I've ever worked with. But they hate him. In South America, they hate him. The ruthlessness against that man is unbelievable. He was once a well-known pastor. He was then a professor at our college in Colombia. He is a Colombian by birth, though his ministry is in Venezuela now. I said, brethren, you say these things, but I know the man. I've stayed in his home. I've seen his family, worked with his family. These people live very frugally. His wife's a physician. He's one of the quietest, humblest men I've found in self-supporting work. They, they go on to say they've supported him, a former Seventh-day Adventist minister who's no longer an Adventist and is rather one of the most severe enemies of the church in the inter-American division. I tell you, that makes me filled with righteous indignation to write that about a godly man. In 1997, they supported a group of church elders in Guatemala who rebelled against the Seventh-day Adventist church. 
and they sent one of their representatives to Guatemala to support them. I mean, I've only been to Guatemala once, and that was to f perform a wedding in 1975. I don't know who the person was that went. Recently, they supported in a court of law a non-Adventist who was attempting to use the name of the church for his own organisation. Their encouragement of breakaway activities in the following countries and others beside is well documented. Australia. You know, you'll notice the countries they put, they've only got, they haven't even got a third of the countries we worked in, but you know, the ones they think they know about. Australia, Bolivia. I tell you what, if you'd have met those people in Bolivia, you wouldn't see them as dissident, and they were not separationists, even they'd been cast out for righteousness' sake. England, so you're part of the ones that we've corrupted. Fiji, France, Germany, Holland, Hungary. You know, I was really grieved when they said Hungary. Halmer and I were over in Hungary with um, Pastor Egavari and Susan Vanko and others. I think it must have been about 1990. It was just, after, just as the walls had broken down there in Hungary. And they genuinely wanted to come back into fellowship with the body. And I said, if you really want to, I said, why don't you write to the General Conference? Well, we don't write English that good, although I think they do write very good English, especially Susan. Well, I said, I'll write the letter for you to the General Conference president. It had to be before the General Conference of 1990 because Elder Wilson was still the General Conference president. And I wrote that letter and I passed it to them. What changed? I listened to what they wanted in the letter and then wrote, it, wrote the letter asking for meetings to explore them coming back into fellowship after they'd been so wrongly put out by the union president there in Hungary. And Elder Wilson, of course, to this day doesn't know that I wrote that letter. By the way, they didn't change a word in it when I read to them. They said that's exactly what they wanted. But he was so delighted it was written up in the Review and Herald and so on. And they did have good meetings. But any hope of them coming back into that fellowship collapsed when the present General Conference president wrote up a report of those meetings making it appear that they'd been in the wrong and the, conference, uh, the union had been in the right. Well, if you understood, well, you understand <laughs> very well the state of the union president that was responsible for throwing them out of the church in Hungary. But here we're, we're supporting dissident groups in Hungary. New Zealand, Macedonia, well, the same present president of the General Conference didn't help a terrible situation in Macedonia. I must admit that both sides, the ones that stayed with the denomination and those that are in self-supporting work, really need to have the love of Christ re-established in their hearts. Both sides of that equation, in my mind. Malaysia, we've corrupted your homeland. Papua New Guinea, Singapore, Solomon Islands, Sweden, United States of America. 
Vanuatu, Zimbabwe. My, they've left out a lot of names. These associations do nothing to build confidence in the professed loyalty of Hope International Associates to the Church. Rather, it is a powerful evidence of their disregard for the carefully considered decisions of the Church, and it amounts to disloyalty to the Church itself. You notice there's never anything about disloyalty to God. There's never anything about disloyalty to the Word. It's always to the Church. You know, I'd expect Roman Catholics to write that kind of document. I pointed out there that the Protestant magazine, how many were familiar with that we put out a Protestant magazine years ago? How many have heard of it? It was put out between 1909 and 1916, only for seven years. The editors were W.A. Spicer, who later became General Conference President, Will Cox, who became editor of the, the Review and a very wonderful editor of the Review, and I've got to keep an eye on this watch. And um, also, it was a. It came out with. Um, uh, who was the other editor? Wilcox. Oh, and Prescott. Well, they were the three editors during the seven years of its existence. But in 1914, on the cover of this magazine, they had just a statement. Protestants believe that loyalty to God automatically makes one loyal to the church. Vice versa, Roman Catholics believe that loyalty to the church makes one automatically loyal to God. I want to know whether we're Protestants or Catholics. I choose to be a Protestant. I believe that loyalty to God, if you're loyal to God, then you're automatically loyal to the church. But obviously it seems as if some of our brethren have lost their focus. You know, then they go on to say, Hope International and Associates pride themselves in their profuse use of the writings of Ellen G. White to support their teachings. I've never heard anyone say they're proud about that. I don't think any of us feel that we're proud about it, but we do are thankful to the Lord that we can use divine inspiration. Um, but they select statements that seem to support themselves while disregarding other statements in which activities such as theirs are clearly condemned by Ellen G. White. I wish they'd have given one example of it. Then we'd know what they were talking about. Her overriding support of the organised Seventh-day Adventist Church is intentionally minimised or ignored by Hope International and Associates or explained away as irrelevant for us today. Listen, we're not the ones that are saying... Things are irrelevant for us today. It's those who are giving up the spirit of prophecy. Well, you know, when you have a situation like what happened just a few weeks ago at Loma Linda where they ordained the first woman, fully ordained the first woman, this um, Mrs. Scott, as a pastor... And there were a large number of other ministers there to participate. The church was wall-to-wall -wall people. Now, that's the largest church in North America, 6,100 members in the Loma Linda University Church. And they had it was blasted all over the newspapers of the area, huge articles on it and photos and so on.
When are they going to see who the real rebels are? When are they going to see those that truly oppose the general conference actions? But you know, North America keeps coming back and they keep coming back and they keep coming back. I, the day's going to come when this battle of church uh, women's ordination is going to be won. I mean, in an official way. It could happen in Toronto. Could happen in Toronto. Because the action that has been passed on from the annual council, which is North American dominated, by the way, as always has been, only a few representatives, maybe four from each of the divisions are there and all the rest are people that are serving in North America. And of course, wherever the annual council is held, all the <coughs> conference presidents from that division are eligible to attend and be voting members. Well, you know, there's a lot of conferences. It's there. And what does the North American division do? They have... Um, voted because of their majority to pass on an action where the, the church manual will take some of the things that are relevant to all the world field and then each division will have its own uh, section of a manual relevant to their needs. Now I've never heard of such nonsense. Christianity is relevant to everyone. I don't care what country you come from, I don't care what race you are, Christianity is for everyone. It's not written for some people and not for others. It should reflect that which is God's plan for every human being. But you know why North America is wanting to shove that through? Because so they can bring in women's ordination. That's their new approach to do it. I wonder if East, East African Division, the Afro-Indian Ocean Division, the South American Division, the Inter-American Division and some of these other divisions that voted so strongly against women's ordination will have the perception to see what North America is trying to do. Or are they going to take it and say, oh yes, we need our cultural identity. It's a great temptation. But some of these divisions are so culturally diverse, it's ridiculous. The South Pacific is a great example. You've got Australia and New Zealand and they're kind of culture and you've got New Guinea and Vanuatu and Solomon Islands and, and Fiji, the, the Melanesian culture, and then you've got the Polynesian culture in Samoa and in Tahiti and in uh, Tonga and uh, Cook Islands and, and so on. Now, if you think there's a close affinity between the Polynesians and the Melanesians, they have very different cultures. And of course, the dominantly European type culture of Australia and New Zealand is vastly different again. So how, are we going to break it up into little atoms or are we going to stay united? I hope that is comprehensively voted down at the General Conference, but I fear it will not be. Take the Afro-Euro-Africa uh, division. What similarities is there between Angola and Mozambique on the one hand and places like Italy and France and Belgium and Spain and so on on the other. You know, it's ridiculous talking this way. And even when you get down into South America, you know, they may be uh, all 
Spanish or Portuguese-speaking nations, but I tell you, there are vast differences in the thinking of the people. Listen, the gospel doesn't deal with that. It deals with the truth that God has given to us. Well, I hope none of you will be put aside when you see this if it comes into the British messenger. You'll realize that this is just another attempt like they did with the issues book. And that you won't say, well, listen, we're, we can't stay with, with um, working with Heartland or Hope or any of those, or Remnant. I think you'll understand that that's not the right position to take because they're going to try to pull us apart. Well, the, the Bible is plain. I love, again, let's look at James 5. It's just something we should be reminding ourselves of all the time. <coughs> James 5, verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. That's again the issue. Be patient therefore, brethren. I'm sorry. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Wonderful promises of the soon return of Jesus Christ. Um, after we've had a hymn, we will take a break. By the way, if anyone wants these few little pieces, here's one more on the German camp meeting if you're still interested in looking at that. And um, there's those books there. And perhaps I should just mention a couple of other books here. I don't know whether you've purchased one of these yet. Georgia sits on Grandpa's knee. Russell wrote that story she told to his granddaughter. But I found many adults have been enthralled with it, even grandparents, because it tells you a lot about his missionary experiences and so on. Um, but it's also something for your children or your grandchildren as a gift. But some of you adults might be interested in that. Don't forget this book, Deceptions of the New Theology. Um, I'm thrilled to, to say that um, our first Portuguese language book has come out, The Folk in, in Portugal. We didn't even know they'd completed it till they sent us a couple of copies of it. And this little book, it's not only for Adventists, but read it first and then give it to one of your neighbours. The Second Coming, Fervent Hope or Faded Dream. This is written for the world as for the, church, as for the church. It's a wonderful little book. The Second Coming, Fervent Hope or Faded Dream. Let's kneel in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we know that troublous times are upon us, but our faith looks up to thee knowing that if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, he will be with us to the end. He will not 
leave us nor forsake us. And we pray, oh God, that we will never leave him nor forsake him. We pray this through the strengthening power of Jesus. Amen. Here's one of our real problems. All the spiritualism in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But this will be the book that we will really be a blessing to you. Adventism proclaimed the four angels' messages. You know, up to his dying days, my dad felt that was the most important book we'd ever written. And uh, that means a lot to us. He really loved that book, because he loved the three angels' messages. The embattled church, what do we do in these circumstances? That's just been reprinted. So keep that in mind, the embattled church. I could go through all the things, and this is the apostasy. We're changing the title in a f future edition from Temple Cleansing because people don't understand what's in the book. It's going to be changed to organization, structure, and apostasy. It tells us who will hold the name, why they will, some will trample on the name Seventh day Adventist. It tells us uh, this book takes up the issue of when the structure will be swept away and. It's a very important book there. There's many other books over there that I'm sure they'll have out for your review. But don't forget to um, ask um, who is doing the books. Laura's. Well, Laura, for whatever else there might be that might be helpful to you. Well, God bless you. Let us keep faithful unto the end. The Lord has warned us, our Father in heaven, that dark and gloomy days are ahead. But through it all, we see the glory of the soon coming of Jesus. We look up, for we know that our redemption draweth nigh. We understand that the only loyalty that we must focus upon is loyalty to Jesus, that we may be faithful in the little things as well as the great things that we might be ready to meet our Lord. Oh Lord, give us today that which we do not naturally entertain in our own lives that is a heart free from any sin, free from hatred and bitterness, free from any unchrist-like attribute. Oh, may we love as Jesus loved. We have had sermons on loving our enemies, doing good to them that hate us and persecute us. Oh, Lord, we pray that you will give us those wonderful Christ-like attributes. And may we never turn from thee or from thy salvation. We pray through the power, the strength, and the love of Jesus. Amen.